All right. Well, welcome, everyone. My name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here. It's so good to be with you all this morning. And before I jump in, I did want to highlight one brief announcement again. Coming up this Saturday at 9 o'clock, I'm going to be leading our prayer ministry class. And I just really want to encourage you to come out to this class. If you've never been through it before, or maybe it's been a few years and you just need a refresher, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to pray for, for physical healing for folks, how we can hear God's voice as we pray for others. And, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest ways you can bless a brother or sister is by praying for them, isn't it? Some of the times where I've experienced the most encouragement from the Lord is when someone has asked me if they could pray for me. And so we want to be people who are growing in, in our ability to, to pray for others. And so... Again, if you haven't been to this class or you need a refresher, I'd really encourage you to sign up today and and join us next Saturday at 9. All right, let me begin. In 2017, more than $2 billion in winning lottery money went unclaimed in the U.S. That's $2 billion with a B. $2 billion that could have been collected by the winners went unclaimed simply because people either threw away their tickets or they didn't bother to, to check their ticket, or they simply read the, the number wrong. $2 billion went unclaimed in 2017. In 2011, a $77 million was purchased in Georgia that was never claimed. Someone went out, they, they took their hard-earned money, they put it down for a lottery ticket, which won them $77 million. They never, never claimed it. In 2002, in New York, someone failed to collect a $68 million payday. And then it happened again in 2006 in New York as well, when someone failed to collect a $31 million ticket. And I I just wonder, it was both in New York, I wonder, is that the same person? Like, did they do it twice? It's crazy. It's crazy to me. I, I am not a big advocate for... The lottery, as you might expect, but man, if you're going to play the lottery, check to see if you've won. <laughs> now, we, we might be blown away, of, of course, that men and women in these instances have failed to receive what was rightfully theirs. And yet, as Christians, we fall into this trap all of the time. In Ephesians chapter 1, we are told that as followers of Jesus, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been blessed beyond all measure. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new hope for the future. We've been given a new peace. And yet, sadly, far too often as Christians, we just fail to take advantage of these blessings. Like a winning lottery ticket that remains unclaimed, we don't receive these blessings. We don't appropriate them. We don't internalize them because of our our own ignorance to the blessings, perhaps because of our own apathy, or perhaps because of our our lack of faith. This morning, I want to look at just two such blessings that Paul says we have been given in Christ. Two blessings that we're called to receive, two blessings that we're called to internalize, two blessings that ultimately we're called to delight in as followers of Jesus. But before we look at these blessings, I, I would love to pray. And so would you guys pray with me? Jesus, you are, are so acquainted with my needs. You are so acquainted with my inability to do anything apart from you. And so I, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me, 
I pray, Holy Spirit, now that you would give me the words to speak. I ask for your help, God. I ask for your mercy that we might be encouraged today, God, that we might grow today, and that ultimately we would be pointed towards you. I love you, Jesus. We love you. Would you help us to see you today in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 is where we're going to be landing. This is part of a much larger passage. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is the longest sentence in the Bible. Now, it's not one sentence in the English because it would be almost impossible to read. But in the Greek, Paul lays out one sentence from verse 3 all the way to verse 14 in which he lays out all of the blessings that we have in Christ. I, I love it. And, and I, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the entire entire sentence and probably frame it on, on my wall because I, I, in the Greek because I, I just love it that Paul is so excited to share all that we have in Christ. So excited. He, he just wants you to understand it with so much passion that it's, it's almost like he can't stop. He, he's so excited. He, he just is unwilling, unable to, to stop and take a breath. It's just a machine gun of all that we have been given in Christ. And so rather than try to tackle all 11 verses, which would keep us here till about 4 o'clock, I'm just going just gonna to stop at the first two blessings. First two blessings that we have that Paul tells us we have in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, this is what we read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, I don't know how many blessings that is, but that's, that's a lot of blessings. Do you know that if you are here and you are a Christian, you are, you are blessed. You are blessed. I'm not trying to downplay whatever's going on in your life. I, I know that in a room this size, there, there's plenty of drama to go around, right? And there's plenty of, of unanswered prayer and sorrow and tragedy to go around. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are blessed, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's something to hold on to this morning. And Paul goes on to say, For he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. God didn't do this because his hand was forced. He didn't do this out of obligation. He was pleased to adopt us. It's in accordance with his pleasure and his will. And it's all for one reason. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He has blessed us that we might be a people who praise him. Might be a people who just stand in awe day after day that we would be the recipients of such blessings. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, how, how have you been blessed? Let's talk about this for a moment. To begin, today's passage shows us that you have been chosen. This is the first blessing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been chosen. Let's look at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world, 
God chose you to be his son or his daughter. And the reason I know this about you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the reason I can say that with full certainty is because it's right here in verse 4. I just read it. This means that the Spirit of God, rather, this means that before the Spirit of God hovered over the deep in Genesis chapter 1, before Moses received the Ten Commandments, before the Great Wall of China was built, before Napoleon decided to try and conquer all of Europe, before the Titanic sunk, before you were born, before I was born, you were chosen by God. Do you know this? Do you know who you are? You've been chosen by God. And if this is true, which it is, then this means that no one has earned their salvation. Salvation, then, is completely divorced from merit. Your, your salvation has nothing to do with your personality, has nothing to do with your gifts, has nothing to do with your good deeds. God did not look at you when you were 12 and you, you know, prayed the prayer at some, some church camp. He didn't look at you when you were 20 and you gave your life to him at university. He didn't look at you when you were 40 and you came back to church and say, okay, that is a man, that is a woman that I, I want to be my follower. When I look at his worth ethic, when I look at her integrity, that's someone I want on my team. That's a first-round draft pick right there. These were not words that, that God ever uttered because he had chosen you before your birth. You know, we often sing a song around here called Reckless Love. Do you know that song? Some of you do. I love that song. And this is the way the song starts off. It says, I'm not going to sing it for you because, you know, you're a blessed people and I want to keep it that way. The song goes, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Now, how, how can we sing that? How, how can we believe that before we ever took a breath? Before we spoke a word that he was singing over us. Well, well the reason that we can affirm this song to be true is because it's, it's right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. That's where they're, they're getting this idea, this thought. Followers of Jesus were chosen before the creation of the world. Now, why is this so important? Well, why do we need to receive and understand this, this blessing? Well, one of the reasons why we need to receive this blessing as followers of Jesus that we've been chosen is that this means that God's love for you and for me is not conditional. It's not. Because he chose you before you were born, and God who exists outside of time and space looked over and saw your entire life, all your life, all the mistakes that you're going to make in your 70s, if you get that far, in your 60s, in your 50s, in your 40s and 30s, he saw everything, the best of you and the worst of you, and before you even uttered your first breath, he said, this is my son, this is my daughter. You know, I, I just had the impression as we were worshiping just a moment ago that, that there are some of us here, maybe you wouldn't frame it in these terms, but there are some of you here today who would say, I just, I feel like I'm at my worst. I feel like I'm just in a season where I'm just at bottom. You've been struggling. Perhaps there's some drama in your life. You've been making some poor choices. And you need to know right now that at your worst, you are chosen by God. 
This, this season, this hard season in which you've been feeling disconnected from God, in which you've been making poor choices, this, this wasn't news to God. This didn't come out of nowhere to him. This isn't, this isn't surprising him. God saw all of your life before you uttered your first breath. And still, he chose you. He chose you. God chose you knowing the absolute worst about you. For some of us, our our worst is ahead of us. And and in the coming weeks and years and decades, we're going to make decisions that would blow our minds right now. And yet, it's not going to catch God by surprise. Because he chose us before we uttered our first breath. My, my wife grew up in, in Australia. Her dad is Australian. Her mom is an American. And, and her mom told her when she was an adult that when, when Celeste, my wife, was two years old, her mom went on a two-week trip to, to America. They, they were living in Australia at the time. That's where my wife was born. And, and um, she doesn't have the cool accent, unfortunately. But she's uh, a bummer for me. But... Uh, but when my wife was two, when she was just a little toddler, her mom went to America for two weeks. Now, to a two-year-old, when your mom is gone for two weeks, that, that, is, that is an event. And so when, when my wife was an adult, her, her mom told her that, that after her mom got back from this two-week trip, my, my wife, who was two at the time, would, be, would take her shoes and she would put them on in bed every night for the next several weeks because... If her mom was to leave again, she wanted to be ready to try and follow her out. And, and I bring up that story because I think that's the way that some of us li- live our lives with the Lord. We're just constantly waiting for the Lord to kind of finally give up on us. We're just waiting for that time in which the Lord's going to say, enough is enough, I'm just out of here. You screwed up one too many times. We've talked about this in over and over again. I'm out. I'm out. So it might not look like putting on shoes so that we can run out the door with our mom, but, but we're just waiting for that time in which God is going to say, okay, you know what? We tried this. Didn't work. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose from the dead, And that because he died for you, because he paid the price for you, that your sins have been forgiven, you can rest on this wonderful truth that you have been chosen and that your Lord, your God, is never going to walk out on you. He saw your worst. He saw your entire life. He saw every sin that you were going to do. He has seen every sin that you're going to commit in the future. And he says, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. Do you know this? Do you know who you are? You've been chosen. (laughs) Secondly, Paul tells us that not only have we been chosen, but that followers of Jesus have been adopted. That's the second point. You've been adopted. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us, that is, predetermined us, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance, again, with what? His pleasure and his will. He didn't adopt you because his hand was forced. 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He adopted us. He adopted us. Now, in, in Paul's day, just to give you a little bit of background here, adoption was a common legal procedure in the Roman world. It wasn't practiced among the Jews, but it was frequently practiced among the Romans, particularly among the, the upper class. And it usually took place when, when a fairly wealthy man was, was getting older in life and he had no son to inherit his estate. And so rather than see his estate broken up between various relatives, he would, he would adopt a young man, sometimes even a slave, and this young man would then inherit all of the old man's possessions, all of his riches. And when a young man was adopted in Roman society, a few things would happen immediately. Number one, the adopted male would receive a new family name. His old family name was cut off. He now went by a new family name. And all of the rights, all of the privileges, all of the responsibilities that went along with that family name were now his. Secondly, the adopted son would become an heir to his father's estate. That means that when the father passed away, that son would receive everything. And if in the rare chance there, there were other brothers already around, he was guaranteed a share of the inheritance. He was a co-heir, even as an adopted son. And if the, that same man would go on to have, have sons in the future, he was still a co-heir. This was not subject to change. And thirdly, as soon as a man was adopted or a young man, rather, was adopted, the old life of the adoptee was completely erased. So if he had any debts, if he had any obligations to other people, they were immediately canceled. The adopted son, he was regarded by the law as a new person. So do you see how remarkable this truth is that you and I have been adopted by God? When Paul says we're adopted, he says, he's saying that we have been made new, and that the Father's wealth is now ours because we are now co-heirs of the Father's fortune with our brother Jesus. And all that has been done, verse 6 tells us again, that we might give praise to our Father. And how can we not praise? How can we not marvel that you and I have been named co-heirs of God the Father's entire fortune, which is everything We've been named co-heirs with our brother Jesus. This is how one commentator put it. I, I just can't get over this. I, I've read it over and over again preparing for this message, and I, I just I can't believe what I'm reading. This is, this is what we read. Christ's inheritance is the whole universe, all that is in existence. As God's adopted children, we will share in the inheritance of Jesus. What belongs to Jesus will also belong to us. Christ gives us his glory, his riches, and all things. All that belongs to Jesus Christ will belong to us, the co-heirs, as well. That is a staggering statement. I just could read that over and over again. All that belongs to Jesus Christ will belong to us. <laughs> you might be struggling financially now. You might just be trying to eke it out, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And again, if that is your situation, I'm not by any means trying to downplay how, how rough that can be. 
And yet, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have an inheritance coming to you. Do you know this? That is so far beyond anything Warren Buffett's kids are getting, anything Bill Gates' kids are getting. You have an inheritance with your brother Jesus of everything the the God of the universe possesses. It is all going to be ours to enjoy, to delight in, to give praise to God for. That that is what is coming for you. Do you understand what you have in Christ? This is why I said this is like lottery tickets that we just haven't claimed as followers of Jesus. We're walking around thinking constantly about all that we don't have, all that we wish we could have. When we've been told that we have inherited all of our Father's wealth with our brother Jesus. But not only does our adoption ensure us a great inheritance, but it ensures us that we're loved by the Father. Listen, the sad reality of this world is that children are born all of the time who are not planned for by their parents, not wanted by their parents. But this is never the case when it comes to adoption. All adoptions are preceded by hopeful anticipation. All adoptions are preceded with with much prayer, with parents who wait with bated breath. You know, if you know someone who who has ever fostered in the hopes of adopting a child, you you know how stressful it is on these foster parents as they wait and they wait and they wait to find out if, if this little boy, this little girl is going to become theirs. If you or someone you know has ever adopted a child internationally, you know how how frustrating it is to wait and wait and wait to hear back if the adoption is going to to go through. An adopted child is a child who is wanted. It's a child who's pursued by their parents. An adoption is never an accident. So what this means is that if you are a Christian, you are wanted by your father. Do you know that? You're wanted by your father. Now, I, I love what Tim Keller has to say on this point, so I'm going to give him the credit for it. He says this, what what is a person committing to when they adopt? When when you adopt, if you have adopted someone or you know someone who has adopted, what what are they committing to? They're committing to loving that boy or girl as much as they love their own biological child. That's the commitment that you make. Now, some families, of course, they do this perfectly. Some families, you would never know, unless perhaps they're they're a different ethnicity, you would never know that their their adopted child has been adopted. They they just love them so well. They, they, They just do such a good job of helping that child feel like they're part of the family, helping that child feel connected to their biological kids. And then there are other families where, for various reasons, because we live in a fallen world, it's done very imperfectly. And, and that child feels disconnected from the biological kids or feels disconnected from the biological parents. But this is what, what Keller says. He says, but God, who is the God of the universe, he cannot do anything imperfectly. And so what this means is that God cannot love his adopted children with any less love than he loves his own begotten son. He cannot love us with any less tenderness, with any less consistency, with any less joy than he loves his own son, Jesus. Because God is perfect, 
And because he has made this commitment, I will love my adopted children as much as I love my own begotten son. Then he loves us with as much tenderness, as much joy, as much fervent passion as he loves his own son. You are loved as much as the Father loves Jesus. And if you think, I'm, I'm overstating my point, if you think this couldn't possibly be true, I would encourage you to head over to John chapter 17, verse 23, where Jesus says this, this very thing. In John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus says to his father, Father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. You have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, you have loved them as much as or equal to you have loved me. Jesus affirms it himself. That we are loved by our Father as much as the Father loves Jesus. Think about that for a second. And what is amazing to me is that by adopting us, God has opened himself up to the possibility of being rejected by us, his children. I I know of a family here in town that has been very open about their own adoption process. They've adopted three kids from birth. Those kids are now adults. And one of their adopted kids, their daughter, for, for various reasons, has just struggled to maintain relationship with, with my friends. They, they've loved her well. They've loved her as much as her adopted brothers. They love the Lord. They've shared with her the love of Jesus. They've talked to her about the love of Jesus. They've shown her the love of Jesus. And yet, the older she's gotten, the more she's rebelled, the more she's pushed them away. And it's broken their heart. And surely that gives us a picture of the broken heart our Father has. After adopting us, after making us His own, He sees us choose to keep Him at an arm's distance. He sees us walk away from Him, or He sees us just give ourselves to empty, meaningless distractions, to give ourselves over and over to trinkets and to empty sins. By adopting us, God opened himself up to the possibility, to the reality of our rejection of him as his children. And yet he pursues us anyway. Friend, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? If you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have been adopted by your heavenly Father. You become a co-heir with Christ of God's vast riches, and you are loved by the Father with the same intensity that he loves his own son, Jesus. Why don't we stand? Hmm. I'm going to invite the band back up. Here's what I would like to do. I just want to create some space for us to, to respond to the Lord. Because some of you are here and you have been following Jesus for a while, perhaps for a long while. And yet, if you were honest, you would say, I feel like one of those people who's holding an unclaimed lottery ticket. I know in my head that I've been chosen. I know in my head that I've been adopted. And yet, it just hasn't sunk down deeply into my heart. 
When we were praying before the first service as a staff, I saw a picture of a tent stake, and it was just barely in, in the ground, just barely hanging in there. And then there was a hammer that just began to hammer the tent stake deeper and deeper into the ground. And I felt like the Lord was saying that for some of us here today, this message just needs to be hammered down deeply into our hearts. You've been chosen. You've been chosen. Before you... Ex- ever took a breath, God had chosen you, handpicked you, said, this is my son, this is my daughter. And you've been adopted. You've been adopted. He loves you. He's chosen you. He longs to be with you. And so in in just a moment, I'm going to invite some of you to to respond, to cash in that, that winning lottery ticket. We'd love to pray that God would help you to better understand his great love for you. And then secondly, I know that in a room this size, there are some of us here who would say, you know, I don't have a relationship with Jesus right now. I I don't have a relationship with Jesus right now that is making a real difference in my life. I've heard about Jesus before, been to church before perhaps, but I don't have a relationship with Jesus that is making a real difference. And and if that's where you're at, then I'm going to invite you in just a second to to head over to our our prayer room where our senior pastor, Tom Paquette, is hanging out. And he would love to talk to you just briefly about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. That because Jesus died for you on the cross, you can find forgiveness in him, new life with him, and be adapted in as a son, as a daughter of God. So he would love to pray with you and love to give, give you just a free book, a free resource on how you can begin this journey with God. And so over the course of this next song, if you're someone who would say, I, I want a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to invite you to see Pastor Tom. So if you've been trained to pray, if you could head to either side of the stage right now. And if you were someone who would love to receive prayer, would like to, to respond, we have.